Ahoy, and welcome to the Open Journal Blogcast. Here we're going to be talking about mental health and all things related. That includes illness, wellness, stigma and support, and most importantly some of your very own personal stories. We're going to be covering projects, campaigns, education, starting conversations, and looking at some of the tools that support our well-being as well. I'm Mike, and while I'm being mindfully mindless, hopefully myself and my amazing guests will be able to show you you're not alone out there. These are real people. They do have struggles. And it starts to get on my nerves. I just shut down. So many people suffer from mental illness. To get the word out that men have got to start talking. So I told everything and her face dropped. A lot of people don't understand the depth of the situation, so mm. they can't appreciate, yeah. It's difficult dealing with our minds. And the suicidal thoughts were back. People knew that there was something not right, but they just never really said anything or probably felt like it wasn't their place to say anything. You're not depressed, it's, it's all in your head. That's probably the statement I've had people say the most. I mean, this, this, this shit is real and it's hard, it's exhausting. And I think people realize how helpful that one conversation can be just to figure out why you are feeling the way you are. Not only did this help me to write it, mm. it potentially might have helped some other people as well. So it sort of started from there. So many people think they're alone. And then you hear other people talk about it and they think, oh, that's, you know, that's so brave or I could relate to that. Um, and then they want to talk about it. Hello and welcome to the podcast and to episode 195. I hope you're having a great week out there. I hope you're looking forward to World Mental Health Day on Saturday. And I think as part of the National Mind and Local Minds, there there is going to be a, a hashtag do one thing campaign. So encouraging people to do one thing this World Mental Health Day and, and get involved in, in something to support mental health, whether that's your own mental health or somebody else's. I think it's a really kind of nice way, I guess, to, to get started or to follow up on stuff that you're already doing. So whether that is giving yourself a little bit of a, a chance to go out for a walk, maybe have a bath instead of a shower, just making that little bit of time for yourself. Or it could be sharing information, resources and support um, of local service providers or maybe something that's available online. So I think uh, really important to, to have a look out for that hashtag do one thing campaign this weekend although i'm sure if you're listening uh, and looking online after the weekend you'll still be able to follow and find some of that information at some stage as well this week uh, i'm delighted to be joined by a new guest nicole is going to be with us from blink so we're going to be uh, looking at and talking about uh, the personalized mental health support available at blink some of the functionality of, of their services um, but we're also going to be looking at sleeping, uh, supporting our sleep therapy, kind of being motivational and looking after our well-being as well. And I think for me, there's a, a really nice follow on from some of the recent discussions we've had with other guests, particularly around sleep, which is really kind of coming up more and more in the last few months, I would say. But really nice to sit down um and, and have a chat with nicole and i want to say a big thank you to her for, for sharing her own lived experience with mental health as well i think really interesting to to hear that insight and really important to understand the the different stories that are available um 
not just for our education but also i think for our awareness of sometimes the the lack of support the lack of service uh provision for certain people for certain illnesses and symptoms and i think we have a really interesting discussion as to where maybe we're reaching that sense of as we've said a few times we're reaching that sense of awareness around um symptoms and illnesses like depression and anxiety and actually maybe we're kind of missing something here where um some illnesses that are maybe more complex are not receiving hardly any attention um, and are still very stigmatized so really interesting conversation with nicole huge thank you to her for coming on for this episode i hope you enjoy it and as always if you want to come on uh, and share your own insight and your own experiences you can find out information over at the still slightly new website which is openjournalbc.com so you can find out information about the podcast about the blog that i also share with my own experiences and insights around mental health and well-being there so thank you for listening thank you for downloading and hopefully subscribing here's this week's episode we have been talking about having uh, our discussion for a little while i realized nicole after um talking about doing something around mental health awareness week uh, we're coming up to, to World Mental Health Day and we're finally sitting down to, to have a conversation. Yeah. Uh, but how, how has your how's your last few days, how's your last week been? What have you been up to? Oh, been quite exciting, actually, for me. So, unfortunately, I lost a job at the beginning of COVID. That was a bit difficult for me, but it really helped me like reassess what I wanted to do. And uh, actually, I'm starting a PhD this week. So going back to university, a full 10 years after my first Freshers' Week, I'm in my second Freshers' Week uh, at the moment. So yeah, it's been really exciting actually for me. Yeah, having a great, great week so far. How about you? Yeah, not too bad. I think it's been it's been a really interesting week in kind of I feel like every week I'm sort of start off at the same point of getting used to again this new way of working and living and yeah. um not having the expectation that it's going to change anywhere soon, but almost each week is like a reminder that okay, this is now how we're working at the moment, um, and getting used to it. I think we sort of mentioned a little bit earlier about desks and things and I've started to think, oh, maybe I want to paint this room now I'm spending a lot of time in it um I've spent the last I don't know how six months sat on a stool <laughs> because it I don't really like the chair that's in here <laughs> so getting a chair is the next thing so yeah it's just it's it's been a, a process of getting used to this is now a little bit more of a permanent thing I think I'm gonna be a home worker for for a lot longer so it's just each week I think is kind of resettling into that and and getting used to it but um it's interesting you mentioned learning because I've had a look recently at some of the like the online courses and things like that thinking oh it's an opportunity to do something different nothing's quite got my interest at the moment but I'm really interested you sort of spoke about that comparison almost between 10 years later going back but Obviously, it must be very different going back into education at the moment. Yeah. Um, what's I, that been like? I mean, it's actually been really good in a way because I live with my partner. We have a cat. We're quite established. And mm. going back to a university would have been quite hard, whereas I'm starting remotely. It's a research project that I can 
run myself. Mm. Hopefully, that seemed to be what the induction material said. So I am looking forward to being able to manage my own time. And especially with, you know, mental health issues, knowing that I can manage my own time means if I need to not work or not do some work for one or two days, I can make up for it. And no one's going to not say have a go at me, but no, you know, it, it's it's on me basically to, to mm. do it. And I, I find that really empowering. I really like that. I I think there's a really big thing around kind of encouraging learning once you've worked or you've done something other than education essentially um I I remember going to uni and feeling like I have to do this now because if I leave and I I go into a workplace I won't come back um and then seeing the approach that students had that had even if they just had one year out but we had a few that had done sort of three or four years out of education and come back and just have like a totally different approach and I think obviously to an extent you get that because of the type of education you're going to be doing with a PhD but um, I suppose it must feel very different going back having had um, that life experience having had kind of work experience going in knowing well I assume to some extent what you want to get out of it is maybe quite different to having been to uni the first time. Oh yes I feel like such I don't know if it's a fraud or if there's some imposter syndrome going on because most people who apply for PhDs are straight out of university. I've had six years working in an industry. I've, I, I mean, I'm quite academic. I publish papers. I've spoken at conferences. Mm. So straight away, I'm a very good PhD candidate, but only because I've had that experience that other people haven't necessarily got. So I feel almost a bit either like a fraud or like I'm cheating somehow, but <laughs> it's very hard to know exactly what what that what that means. But I was the best candidate, at least for the the one I the project I applied for. I'm going to be looking at energy storage and next generation batteries. I'm an engineer. Oh. If you um, if that didn't come across, so yeah, I'm, I'm so excited about that. Yeah, I think there is a big um, for me having having kind of followed up on some of the information that we've kind of shared before today I had a little bit of a look and can see some of your background and actually make people might be making the assumption we're going to just kind of sit down and talk mental health and we really will get into that but you do have a very kind of knowledgeable expertise in in a particular field that probably isn't spoken about very often um kind of where does that interest come from and what what started you on that journey Oh, wow, it's a career. <laughs> it's just, it's, I just think because it's so different, it's a really interesting area to, to mention. Yeah, so um, I've got a master's in spacecraft systems engineering. Um, and yeah, I've been a, a spacecraft thermal engineer, spacecraft systems engineer for the last like six six or so years. And it all came about because I really, this is going to feel, this feels really silly to say, look at all that judgment on myself. Um, but I always wanted to be a weather girl. And I think when it, came time to researching at universities and how to apply all those years ago I started getting more interested in how like meteorologists and they get the data back and how they model the you know the the um, weather systems and I actually got more interested in in like the satellites that they use to you know to build up these pictures and the monitoring and it's that it's that kind of academic curiosity you just think How's that get up there? How does that 
do that? How, how does it how does it survive in these extreme temperatures? And finding myself asking all those questions mm. led me instead of doing what my original very you know my plan that I for some reason had was to do a geography degree and then a meteorology conversion as a master's. It it, it shifted to to looking into all these engineering and, and spacecraft uh, degrees, which is great. And then I recently been working a lot on on the batteries that go into spacecraft in one of my previous roles and that just got me thinking about energy storage in general and sustainability and when I saw that this PhD project had come up it just felt like felt like I just hit at the right time I just unfortunately uh lost a role and this opportunity came up that matched my values and matched the things I enjoyed most about the jobs I had which was researching and coming face to face with problems that we hadn't seen before mm. and so to be able to do that in a more formal way yeah I'm it's really it's really exciting for me and I just think I found yes from a place of privilege where I did have the opportunity to go to university and study but from following my passion instead of what I thought I should do I'm I'm finding you know there are loads of opportunities and I'm so excited to to start a PhD and almost change my specialism. Feels like it's it's still early in my career, I guess, but no, I'm I'm so excited about it. Yeah. I think it's really interesting to hear that kind of that I don't know if progression is the right word, but that kind of journey that's happened and you're kind of on, on a certain path and that has continued, but it's maybe kind of just curved around the corner a little bit. Um and I think there are so many kind of interesting discussions and journeys that people have and it's almost like actually it's not uh like it's in the vicinity of where you were thinking you were going to go but it's over to the side over here um and that's where some really interesting conversations happen and I think um probably career-wise I think it's really interesting to have people who aren't on that kind of straight journey to this is the thing I'm going to do and they kind of work their way through education and experience to that job and it's a very kind of linear straight through um I I have a few friends that have done that journey and often they're the ones that seem to kind of financially succeed because they made that journey very quickly um but I think in terms of a team having people that have kind of come in from different fields um and had different experiences is hugely beneficial so yeah it's really interesting and I definitely don't I I wouldn't chuckle at the idea of someone having that aspiration to be a weather girl when I think um up until probably probably um an age much later than it should have been my dream job was working in Toys R Us so (laughs) I just yeah I remember thinking I could work in this shop where there are toys and games and why wouldn't anyone work here? Um, there are children running around. Breaking. Yeah, yeah. I just, I'm, I was probably at secondary school, still hoping for that job. Um, but no, it's as we've kind of mentioned that that journey of kind of where we expect to go changes, and I think mental health experience can really feed into that, whether it's kind of through illness or through kind of positive changes and actions. Um, and I know you've had your own experience. It'd be really interesting to hear a little bit of um what that experience has been like and how you feel like it's kind of fed into where you are today oh that was an open question you were right it was it was it was I pulled it back because I, I it was almost a close one at the beginning 
um, yeah, so last October, I was, I'll say, I was diagnosed with a dissociative identity disorder. And a lot of people may not know what that is. Uh, you might be more familiar with the term multiple personality disorder, but it has not been called that since the 90s. And it almost goes to show already all of the stigma and misunderstanding around it that people don't even know what it's called. Mm. You can tell I'm already angry. Right? <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I, I mean, the name has changed a lot of it was actually it was changed because of the stigma associated with it and the realization that it's not multiple personalities it's one person one consciousness but as consciousness and identity developed there were these dissociative or disconnecting almost mental psychological barriers that that appeared which means that fragments of my consciousness don't necessarily communicate with other fragments so i you know, find myself almost, I say waking up almost mm. somewhere else, not knowing how I got there. And it's that kind of amnesia um, aspect. Of, it's quite scary, but, but yeah, at least I finally, it, I got diagnosed. But yeah, it wasn't, the journey wasn't linear, I guess, to get the diagnosis. Mm. I don't suppose many people are um, in terms of finding support for their mental health. I think it's um you'll notice this I find a lot of things interesting I, I can't it's it's getting to the stage where I feel like I need to find other words other than interesting to use but you That's kind it. of pick up on that side of um kind of a, I, I don't want to say awareness because I think that's unfair we have awareness of kind of mental health and of certain different um disorders symptoms and illnesses um, and I think particularly around um, more common, not lesser than, but more common illnesses like depression, anxiety, maybe even OCD and eating disorders. Um, but when we come across kind of illnesses that are considered or I would consider more complex, um, there are, as far as I'm aware, there are less people that are affected by these illnesses. There is less research done into them and it's much harder to treat. Um, there's almost that approach I think to to this area of mental health of don't worry about that we'll focus in on depression and anxiety <laughs> um do you feel like that approach kind of happens and what do you feel like there are certain effects that come from that completely and everything you have just said I completely agree with like I think in general awareness of mental health and mental illness is brilliant I think the main focus that there has been on mental health and awareness has, yes, like you said, has been on common things that most people can somewhat relate to. No, if you've never had depression, you can't relate to it at all. But everyone has had days or moments when they have felt unmotivated and low and other symptoms that I, I, I'm not aware of. I've not, I've not dealt mm. with depression in my life. But when you come across almost the, the scary the scary disorders, the the stuff of nightmare disorders, the yeah, it's it's horrible for me. I feel personally more isolated by mental health awareness um, than accepted because it's fine to have a chat with your friends that you're feeling anxious. It's probably not great to say yeah, and I was in the shower, but then suddenly it was a few hours later and. I was bleeding and I didn't really understand what had happened 
and I don't know why or what and mm-hmm. and it was it it is scary and it's it's confusing but I definitely do feel isolated by the fact that these disorders aren't even necessarily they're not they're not talked about because they are more scary yeah but that's because we don't talk about them as much yeah. if we spoke about them then yeah the stigma would would reduce <laughs> um yeah and I think the lack of spreading of awareness to things other than anxiety and depression um, bleeds into the healthcare service in the fact that my condition wasn't picked up on or even screened for for years and years. So I'd go and do the general anxiety, you know, questionnaires. Oh yes, questionnaires. Yeah. I've not necessarily had depression in my life. So me saying I'm losing time, I think I'm hallucinating. I'm I'm self-harming but I'm not self-harming I seem to black out and I come to and yeah has been done and I'm holding a an implement or something and so yeah self-harm I can tick it have I have thoughts of self-harm no but I'm scared I'm going to do it have Mm -hmm. I had thoughts of suicide no but I'm terrified that that might happen if I don't have control of what I'm doing but going through these questionnaires don't pick that up and so for years I would be like assessed you know box ticked as low risk and sent mm-hmm. home even when presenting at A&E needing stitches and you know paramedics like you must know why you did it you must know it's like no I'm so scared I don't know who I am I'm like losing control of myself it was it was really really terrifying for me and it just felt like because the awareness maybe wasn't there in the healthcare system or in the psychiatric healthcare system it wasn't picked up for me and I kind of ended up feeling just like oh right so so no one ever actually gets treated for mental illness do they just get ignored till they go away do I am I going to get ignored till you know till I stop asking for help until I kill myself you know like asking for help in that sense only ever made me feel more unworthy of it it only made me feel like weak uh, misunderstood invalidated and like more isolated and alone and it's so hard when all you see around you is talk about it ask for help and it's like asking for help you make it sound like it's the, the last thing I have to do and everything will be great but it's not it's so hard but it's the first step and you have to keep asking for help again and again and you have to advocate so much that it becomes almost as draining as, as whatever anguish that you're you're dealing with and I want to say like I'm lucky because depression isn't something that I dealt with so I haven't had that feeling of worthlessness or helplessness and even when it was almost thrust upon me by the responses I was getting I had enough kind of no this is not normal I need help to to keep going and eventually again privileged luck uh my partner had private health care I went private and it's so sad that I had to go private to get someone to listen to me after four years of you know just being terrified of myself um and like as soon as I went and saw a psychiatrist privately they were like, oh, I think you might be suitable for some inpatient treatment straight away, you know, and 
that point of which me saying, I'm so scared I might kill myself or cause nerve damage and I, I'm scared to be left alone because I don't know what I'm doing. And to, instead of, and I'm sure the NHS and services are brilliant and maybe it's just my experience, but that feeling of people were just waiting to hear like trigger words to tick boxes and I didn't say the right things. Whereas as soon as I started paying for it, I got some help. And, you know, I spent 10 weeks in a psychiatric hospital. They cost like six grand a week. No one can afford that. But luckily I had health insurance, but I shouldn't, mm. I shouldn't be the only one that gets it because I have health insurance and that. Sorry, yeah, that, that really gets me as well. But sorry, we were talking about awareness. No, I, I think. I really, I really think the lack of awareness um, and yes, it's a lack of NHS funding, but they want to fund the thing that the awareness is being raised about. So it look, so it looks good. And yes, depression and anxiety are more common. But just because something is isn't as common doesn't mean it's not worthy or valid. And you know, I had to again privately fund a diagnostic assessment. And I got a questionnaire to fill out before that assessment. And that questionnaire, there were questions I have never been asked before by anyone. And it's like, yes, yes, I do feel, I don't recognize myself in the mirror 60% of the time or, or whatever it is. Yes, I don't feel like I'm always in control of my own body. No, I don't recognize my skin. It's covered in all these scars that, that I didn't do. I didn't make these scars. This isn't my skin, you know, this is like, and there are so many of these questions that actually resonated with me and triggered these, these responses that I was like, Oh, this is a thing mm. this is a diagnosable condition that I can have an assessment for and I can learn that you know there's treatment and there's a different path and oh and I just hate that I have to pay for it all I hate that I had to do that because I just we're not in I was gonna say we're not in America it's a crap system over there too but the idea of the NHS is that people get get support and I mean, even my private health insurance, once there's a diagnosis and because my diagnosis of um, DIID is a chronic illness, it, it's, it's not something you, you cure, it's something you manage, they don't fund any treatment for that anymore. So now I'm on my own and that super sucks. I don't know how else to say it, it just super yeah. sucks because I can't get any help with the NHS. And I'm, at this point, I'm too... It's not that I'm scared, but I'm aware of the risk in re-traumatizing myself and getting quite bad that I'm not willing to approach the NHS uh, mental health team again for treatment. I would rather self-fund at this point. Mm. But there are obviously other, other factors involved in that. I'm doing a PhD. I'm getting a stipend, but my salary has pretty much been cut in half because I was working as a, you know, as a spacecraft engineer, which sounds impressive and it was quite it was quite good in terms of salary and I on that so there's so much in that sense um to think about huh I need to take a breath I got quite emotional then I think um yeah lots in there uh I I do think <laughs> uh a big thing for me and I think it's definitely I feel like it's come out so much more in the the conversations over the last few months maybe this year is that recognition you know we've 
we've reached or we have that level of awareness on many things definitely not everything but on many things um but it's a lack of education and i think that's where maybe some of the differences start to be revealed is that it's awareness of mental health is a thing here is an overview here is a summary here are um like you said i think that here are the things that affect most people and arguably maybe here are the things that are more friendly for people to see and hear and talk about we can talk about depression and we can talk about anxiety maybe ocd and eating disorders as well and then everything else is kind of like you say that's everything else and don't worry about that we'll focus in on this and i think that's the difference in my mind between awareness and education because awareness is getting people to acknowledge this is a thing you can do some stuff to support it but just acknowledge this is a thing education is really about talking about there are different illnesses this is how some people can find themselves being affected by them these are some of the things that might help you manage them here are some of the support services um here's the difference between this and this or like here's a preferred phrasing for this and we try not to say this um and i think all of that is where we're i only see it from individuals and i mean like people that are passionate about it and they are talking about it they're not backed by an organization or by government or by a charity or whatever it's individual people sharing their story and saying this is my preference or here is some education because of my experience um and i think that's great but i just think kind of similar to to some of the stuff you like what a shame that we are relying on people sharing their story to learn about it like so how i learn about and it's one of the reasons why i really love the podcast is i essentially learn about other illnesses other symptoms by hearing other people's journeys um and i just think it's yeah what why aren't we kind of given some information um because i think like you say it's so much of it is focused in on um depression and anxiety and i know i'm i'm affected by depression i know the questionnaires you're talking about i filled them in um and i i I remember going through those and thinking like some of the questions particularly ones that are about anxiety and um someone sort of said well you're 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 kind of uh, like reporting quite high anxiety and i was like but I'm not, it's to do with the depression. And I think even at that, I would argue, quite a simplistic level, um, that can become really confusing. So I I can have no idea really what that must feel like to be trying to report how you're feeling um, with, I would argue, quite a complex situation on what is quite a simple form that isn't really looking at what what you're being told it is looking at. Because it is, those are they are questionnaires for they're not necessarily depression but they're questionnaires for low mood and for anxiety they're not really for anything else which is why like you say you could say how you're feeling and then maybe they'll go oh there's like this and this but you're not really scoring very highly um and it's like well yeah because this is for stuff that i'm not really affected by i'm affected by something over here um and so many of our services are, are are focused in on anxiety and depression. And again, more people are affected by that. That's great. But it shouldn't be at the exclusion of, of something else. And I think for me, it's sometimes it's drawing. I think I don't know if it's a male thing. I need like, give me examples. Give me comparisons. And when you're talking about that idea of 
um like oh because less people are affected by it at the moment we essentially ignore it i think a lot of the time we don't talk about it um now like i can say i live in an area that is predominantly um home to white people that doesn't mean that we go well anyone that's not white doesn't matter actually it's really important that we encourage our education to reflect our knowledge of, of what other people might experience in this area um, and also use their expertise in things that maybe we don't know about we don't know about maybe different cultural holidays or whatever um, and I think it's a similar thing again because I need that visual thing in my mind of a comparison of going oh we're going to focus in on depression and anxiety and we're just not going to worry about that oh there's a whole pool of people here that are affected by a range of different things that we can learn from that actually could inform some of the work that we do in the future. But you say, just us sitting down, I'm learning from it. And I think actually if we shared more of that information, we encourage more people to come forward, um, there would be that information. And I, I, I understand and I, I like, I guess, a lot of those conversation starters that you mentioned. But I also agree that there are some occasions when, and it sounds like you've had quite a few, where you get stuck at that stage it doesn't move past that um and i think that's a real that's a concern i think because we are now getting i think really good at being proactive about saying come forward talk and listen and have these conversations mm-hmm. and if that's as far as anyone can get actually that doesn't that become a hindrance yeah and i think there's been a huge huge um so even if we talk about depression and anxiety and what the NHS is doing with, you know, improving access to is it psychological therapies, that's a whole scheme. Mm. Even with that, like last last year or the year before, this is rough statistics, so please yeah. don't quote me. <laughs> you know, there are over one one and a one point four, I think, million people referred to this scheme, but less than half of them actually got, you know, more than one appointment. So even in the depression, anxiety that that is meant to be treating people that their GPs or they self-referred wanted the help, they asked for help, they didn't get it. And, you know, we're not just letting down people with the more exotic, you know, psychotic disorders, dissociative disorders. We're, we're also letting down the people that we're really raising awareness for. And one of the things that I feel is, you know, enough, enough awareness. Great. You know about DID. How does that bloody help me and it is it gets to that frustration that enough awareness more action let's stop funding awareness campaigns let's start funding treatment Mm. i don't there's a point where i don't care if you know what i'm dealing with or not you're not a mental health professional i want them to to know what i'm dealing with and like that's one of the reasons that that blink was born which not even touched on yet but um when I was at, um, at the Priory, that's the, the very fancy psychiatric hospital that I was at, um, you know, everyone except for one really rich guy with loads of Rolexes was in the same position as me. And there was no one's first choice. There was no one's first choice. And I met this lovely guy, Mike. Again, his, his parents were, were funding him because he couldn't get, get the help. And, you know, it's been a few years since we were in hospital and we're still in touch. And we're just, we have that feeling like, it shouldn't just be us that, that gets the help because we have that financial support. So yeah, we started Blink Mental Health, which is, it's a non-profit, you know, and we're aiming to provide support to people who 
feel they have been let down or feel that the NHS isn't necessarily supporting them. And we're not bad mouthing the NHS. They, they do an incredible job, but they, there are limits and there are budgets. And we just want to be able to say, you know, we want to offer you personalised uh, mental health support. And that's, that's years away. We have a brilliant idea for the Blink Bank, which is going to be of, of money from volunteer, you know, from, from people and from and of time from mental health professionals and to, to try and almost be a broker, but to actually get someone the help they need, whether that's whether a psychiatric assessment or, you know, talking to a nutritionist because they, that's, that's trauma informed or eating disorder informed and, you know, it's not, a, we don't want to be a crisis service. We want to help people manage their mental health. And it feels so radical saying that because at some point you almost need to be at a crisis point to get, to get help. And we, we don't want to do that. Um, yeah, it's, it's about helping people who feel they've been let down. And, and some of the stuff, I don't, I don't know if I, if I ramble into a plug for one of the things Blink are doing. Yeah, I, th I, th I think it's, it'd be interesting to hear a bit more about it. I think I'll, I'll just kind of follow on a little bit from one of the things you said there. And I think it is really important because I know it's going to be part of maybe some of the discussions that are kind of happening at the moment. And I think it's part of one of the episodes coming up on the podcast, possibly before this one, is that idea that so many people are, I don't want to say encouraged, but essentially encouraged to wait until they're in crisis. Yeah. Um, don't like there isn't really anything for you come back in six months um, go wait until you're in crisis and then oh we've got a crisis team um, and I I just it's so difficult because there are people coming forward like you say for for support for either themselves or someone they know um, and so often they are they're turned away or they're given a leaflet which you're not I just I understand there is elements of kind of sharing and providing information and whatever but I just it breaks my heart when someone gets given a leaflet because yeah. I just um oh, I just oh, fucking <laughs> um but I think it, it yeah that's the side that I think it's really interesting to sort of also hear about is that idea that it's not about waiting until you get into a crisis it's about trying to be proactive if we can in accessing support um it's also about saying do you know what if you're not in crisis right now you also might be in a maybe a better place to take on some some tips and tools learning stuff that you might need to do so rather than wait until you're you are fighting to stay alive you're not that's not the time to sit in a class and go here's some learning points maybe you could do this when you're at home okay great yeah thanks for that um so i think yes it's a, it's a, a really interesting time to to think about some of that stuff that can kind of help ourselves and help the people that are around us as well and and encourage people to look at and access um stuff like we're gonna talk about with blink so yeah yeah do do introduce us to blink tell us um a little bit more about it well yeah i guess it, it was born out of the struggles that that i've had that mike had and anecdotally a lot of people have had um getting support over the the nhs or, or other means and we we just wanted to have that idea of we're not gonna we're going to personalise the support that we do based on whatever the community is that we happen to be to be in at that time. And I think I already said about the Blink Bank, but that's, you know, that's our huge pipe dream. And we're hoping in the next, you know, five years that that's something that we can, can build. But so far, we've done some brilliant work at um, a music festival. Oh, it wasn't a music festival, actually, the one that we went to uh, 
last year. It's How the Light Gets In. It's a philosophy and ideas festival in Hay. Oh. Oh. Absolutely festival. Um, but we had a well-being tent there where we had three amazing uh, psychotherapists offering free talking therapy appointments. Wow. And, you know, not, uh, what's the word? They weren't super in-depth therapy appointments because we're managing the space to light up introduction yeah. therapy, having a chat. But suddenly you've got this thing that may have a bit of stigma or be a bit weird in a place where you go to to learn new things and try mm. out and the tape we were fully booked the whole time people were having therapy appointments and the feedback we got was was brilliant you know there was one person who who came to us on like the Sunday saying I've walked past your sign that says free talking therapy so many times and I, I really want to talk to someone and I, I don't know how does it work what do I do and being able to say, yep, you know, come have a chat with, you know, with the psychotherapist, you know, in a little confidential space in a gazebo behind all the tents. But yeah, we had such positive feedback and we were lined up to do two or three uh, wellbeing tents this year and can't do that. Yeah. But it's just brilliant. You know, we're demystifying what therapy is. And again, like you said, you don't have to wait for a crisis moment to, to need it. Mm. And and yeah, we, we loved it. It was a brilliant, brilliant festival to go to as well. Did you, just... I really did you find people maybe coming over that, I imagine you would have got some of the people that maybe would be trying or in the process of accessing support, but did you ever find that there were some people coming over just out of kind of out of interest or almost yeah. like, I wouldn't have accessed support, but actually I'm really, in, because you've, you have made it accessible to them. You've kind of almost gone, like you say, to somewhere where they feel comfortable and safe to to come and have a chat yeah we we had a few people who were just just coming up and just saying what what's this about right I don't I don't think I need therapy but but I mean what what's it about you know just that curiosity mm. and it was for, for them as well because you may not feel that you need or want therapy but maybe now you're having a conversation with a with a psychotherapist about yourself and they might be able to signpost different things that in the future if when unfortunately most likely when you have a, a mental health struggle you know oh it's not actually scary to ask for therapy it was that lovely person I chatted to at that festival it'll be someone like that and they'll help me through or mm. talk talk me through my situation and that's that's something huge that that I think only almost at that that you in that environment can you get people with those open minds to, to do it and yeah that, that kind of sucked that we didn't get to do it again this year because it was brilliant and we really wanted to build on the momentum but you know safety is important and we can't we can't do anything about that if no, anyone's no. listening to this in in a million years time it's it's because of the COVID-19 pandemic <laughs> I just I, I'm already at the stage where I'm like so this year's gone. What is next year? Um, and I think there, yeah, there's a lot of events that I almost feel like it's now thinking, how are they going to run the next year? Um, and I'm hoping that there have been some events that have continued to run this year online and digitally. And hopefully the kind of the, the learning that's happened there can inform maybe some more of those events to um, run in maybe a slightly different way next year so that we are in a situation where people are deciding whether or not to be in person or online rather than run or not run um, 
because I think there is that that space for it's it's not the same as as what you've done in person but there is that space for oh I can click onto this kind of part of the I don't know this part of the festival and I can jump out of this kind of virtual tent and into another one um I think it was it uh about a last week or the week before i actually went to i went to uh, i visited uh, an online uh well-being festival and they very much had it set up like that so you could kind of jump into one tent and there was a talk a performance in another tent or something else in another one and i think it's looking at events like that where you can sort of see what can happen how it can run um and to some extent facilitate some of that stuff that you've been doing in making therapy and making having these conversations more normalized um and like you say there will be some of those people that maybe aren't affected by an illness at this moment in time but hopefully because they've seen you they've had that conversation in the future they might go you know, i'm struggling with what we might now describe as a symptom um and come forward and kind of hopefully access some support before that escalates into into an illness yeah. and um, not have the additional anxiety about asking for help because they already know hopefully what what it will be mm. um i wanted to jump jump on two things that you said if that's yeah. right yeah yeah Basically, the whole what yeah this year's over what what's going to happen next year or the year after mm. i'm i was meant to be getting married in two weeks time um, oh. on, the, on the 4th of october but that's that's we've delayed that till 2022 because we were just had no idea what was going on so that's something in my personal life that's been a bit you know we're very soon to be celebrating I would have been (laughs) and then the other thing about moving moving things online because the other great segue the other um service that Blink's been offering are these well-being workshops which in January you know we we were in the process of getting them set up we have a space donated in South London and the idea is it's reducing the stigma of people who may have mental ill health thinking they can't do anything or that you, you know, it's hard to go somewhere. But we'd have these workshops, yoga, chocolate making mm. with, with a trauma informed approach with a mental health practitioner there as well as the facilitator. And you're doing these activities with someone, with people who are in a similar position to you. No pressure. No, you don't have to talk about your condition but it's so nice to be in a community where you you know your needs will be met and you don't have to worry and we are we are just just about to launch the online version of this and it's been hard because how do you create the same sense of community on zoom how do you make sure that people can feel involved and again it's that reducing the almost the self the internalized Say the internalized stigma, internalized ableism about oh I can't do this, I can't do that. But that that's what these workshops are about. Yes, the the activities and we've got you know we've got some mindfulness and poetry that we're really close to launching um, online coming up, and that's brilliant. But for me maybe, and I think for the other members, it's that outcome that I've achieved something, I've connected with people when I haven't been able to for six months and. And I felt that it was a safe space. And that's, you know, we've got, there will be mental health practitioners in the in the workshop and we've got, you know, consultant psychologists on how we run it to, to make sure it's trauma-informed. Mm. It's not just a online workshop. It's a very specific, you know, blink online workshop. So you 
don't have to worry you know you can let us know if there are any you know mental health issues and we will address them for you mm. um, and yeah we are actually hopefully going to be launching those and they should should be starting to run end of end of october beginning of november oh, so wow. if anyone is interested please may i plug yes please head over to mm. the blink mental health facebook page or instagram page it's blink mental health or if you like a website, uh, blinkmentalhealth.org.uk and please sign up for our mailing list and you'll find out all about our workshops. Yeah. I think it's... Very, very proud of me for that, Blink. A, a <laughs> very, a very hopefully positive and key time to, to be talking about that online service as well as we, whatever the next period of time looks like. Um, but it does look like there's going to be kind of continued regulations around how we're living and working um and i think having that opportunity to go look there are online services there is online support there are online events um i think is going to be really really important for people yeah. and um it's i think it's really good that it's not we're not just talking here about that you know you you've been fortunate enough which you do have to be to access a service and get that one-to-one -one support because that isn't going to be for everyone and um hearing you kind of talk about that um kind of group workshopping i think is for a lot of people going to be uh, much more accessible much more friendly uh, um, and maybe a service that people don't really know is available or wouldn't think of it as being a service um, in terms of supporting well-being and like you said that facilitating that environment of there are other people in this room that are affected by things maybe similar to you there are um, professionals in the room that are willing and able to support you and host those conversations but equally if you just want to kind of crack on with whatever the activity is you can do that and i think that's a, a really it's going to be a really really key area for for so many people that are looking to access support um not necessarily for the first time it could be someone that's kind of trying to come back and trying to access something after um previously trying as well um so i think yeah a really key time like you say who knows what well have an idea um what the restrictions are going to be like um but also knowing just it's winter so a lot of people are going to be indoors a lot more and actually having that online access i think is going to be really key so yeah definitely go and go and have a look and find out about um what's going on as well because i think it'll be a really really useful service if not for someone that's listening then maybe someone that you know as well thank you I, no. I do just want to add, I, I feel like we are coming up to, to the scheduled end of our conversation. But I do want to add in terms of moving things online for me. So I have therapy once or twice a week uh, to help with, with my DID. I, you know, I have periods in the week where I, I just lose hours here and there. I don't know what's going on. So, you know, that's scary for the one part. And also trying to, I'm trying to build that communication between these parts of, of my consciousness that aren't either willing or able to, to communicate just to know what what the hell's going on in my head but yeah at the beginning of, of the lockdown in March moving on moving therapy online I didn't think anything of it until I did it mm. and it was horrible being on zoom it almost felt like I was inviting all of my problems into my house that that's what it was it's like I was just inviting everything horrible not all my struggles into my house where actually there was this safe place somewhere else you know in in a 
in a room that a therapist has curated to be calming and safe that I could safely have those conversations so it's been a huge um learning curve or yeah about how I feel in terms of maybe how territorial I am or how unwilling to accept my diagnosis I was but I wasn't bringing it into the house and I felt so uncomfortable doing that so almost a warning or something to think about for other people as well if you feel like accessing these services online make sure you don't necessarily do it in the same place or setup that you might do other online work just because you, you might find some some strange feeling about inviting your inviting those maybe struggles into your work day if it's at your work desk maybe just move change the environment slightly that may not be for everyone but for me that that really helped just having creating a separate environment even within my house that, that so I could yeah separate it I think that's really key and I think it's um I'd say that's that is the voice of someone that has had a period of time using the online now and you go here are some learning points I've picked up that are um I was not always shared of that idea that actually just sitting somewhere different I think we're getting used to now that idea of kind of having a break making sure it's not kind of much longer than an hour or, or an hour and a half uh and it's it's that idea of kind of the regular breaks that's great but it's just learning isn't it what works for you don't make that assumption that oh just because this is where you've got a desk this is where you have to sit or um because you don't have to get out of bed you can just do it on your phone if you're comfortable there great but maybe it's not a conversation you want associated with your bedroom and the place you're going to try and sleep um it is having that a little bit of a think and for some people this might be a positive because you've got a bit more control over your environment when you have these conversations but I think it is really difficult because you are like you say you're inviting this conversation um into your home where where previously you would have like you say you go out you go to a different building to a different room um and you speak to someone that is not a family member about whatever's going on um, and to be at home when potentially there are other people around you or in different rooms that can maybe overhear some of your conversation is going to be so difficult even if they can't the you the thought that they might mm. you know even if my partner's playing playstation with his massive headphones <laughs> on and I'm in a completely different room they're still it just and I'm not uncomfortable talking to him about it but it does change the dynamic yeah and it's fun if you like you say if you're I think it's very different when you're um you're engaging in that conversation with him is different to him overhearing a conversation you're having yes. with someone else because there are times when as lovely as our relationships may be <laughs> when you want to talk about it and express it to somebody else um and sometimes you'd need that sounding board and I think a lot of us often feel this around kind of the work environment is a really good comparison I think where um that you might just need times when you soundboard something off and just go oh this really annoyed me I just need to say it get it out of the way and then I can move forward and if you felt like that colleague could overhear what you were saying maybe you wouldn't feel as comfortable and then you hold on to that for longer so I think it is it's definitely a different way of, of accessing a service there are positives and maybe less positives don't want to say negatives um, <laughs> to, for different people but hopefully 
one of those positives is that it does make some things more accessible. We've spoken a little bit about kind of festivals and events. Um, and I know for a lot of people, um, whether that's because of certain abilities or, or finance or transport, they're not always able to access those um, kind of physical locations. So I think that has been one thing I feel like I've really learned this year is that um, a lot of our events are still not as accessible as we think they are. Um, and online really is something for the most part we are not using particularly today where we're using skype um we are not using new technology um very very few people are using new technology we're using stuff that's existed for years but we just haven't invested in in using it um and there might be ways that we can kind of continue to have an element of online support in the future um alongside some of that in-person service as well so i think all of the lessons that are being learned about services events uh, and support online i think are really really valuable and i just hope that people kind of take on board and go actually that this isn't useful for the next six months this is useful that's it yes um, it's not about this or that it's about this and that we can diversify and we can do all of these things we can meet the needs of more people than we originally thought because there's no harm in having a camera in a hall when you've got an event and so people can access online and and then people can also wow get some closed captioning and maybe be able to you know pay, take part even more i think i think you're you're 100 right with that yeah yeah i think there, there is a, a big thing i'm i've noticed i don't know if you've noticed this recently with shops i i, I i'm still not really going to many places but i have noticed the return of the job role of the welcomer to shops, which has thrown me off completely when I go to a place and they say, hi, what are you here for? And I'm like, I don't know. I wasn't expecting questions before I stepped through the door. Um, <laughs> but I think that there's almost a role for that with, with places when we're talking about online services and going forward, if we do or however we return to um, kind of in-person events and things like that, of having someone that is that kind of welcomer role for the camera, um so it isn't like you say because we can stick up a, a camera in the corner of a room and i think that's going to be a very different service to at the moment what people are offering where we are kind of face to face and i'd love to see um kind of places or events have this like a, a, a camera welcomer so that it can just be a camera in the corner but every so often someone is going to come over and go like hello to the camera and, and <laughs> kind of interact with us in that way so we don't just feel like I've sat right at the back and I can see what's going on in the distance. Um, so you're still involved. And again, it's that idea of this shouldn't just be for now. We're not going back to whatever it was before. It's It has been, while it's been crap for many people, there have been some really, really positive things that we've learned and picked up. And it's really important that they remain and they continue um, as we move forward as well. So when we're talking about the amazing stuff with Blink and some of the services and support there, please don't listen to this and think, oh, that's going to be really useful for me for the next three months. No, it's, it's really useful. That's it. Kind of keep it in your arsenal. Keep it in, in your toolbox of these are things that I might want to access myself or I might want to be aware of so I can mention it to someone else if they're talking to me about something they're going through. I know there's somewhere that I can kind of signpost or find information from. Um, it, it's not about just... Well, from my point of view, it isn't about thinking about it as kind of the next three months or however long. With that in mind, I, 
I think we, we, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, so we, we did briefly mention earlier, but I, I think it's good to kind of um, include it again towards the end. So if people do want to kind of follow up, find out a little bit about um, yourself, Nicole, or Blink, where are the kind of where are the places that would be really useful for them to go to to find out a bit more or to recap some of the stuff we've spoken about? Yeah, so Blink Mental Health hopefully blink like what you do with your eyes and then mental health like what we've been talking about mm. um just that's uh, we have a facebook page blink mental health we have an instagram page blink mental health and we have a fancy website yeah blink mental health uh, .org .uk. Oh. Please, please come find it please uh, sign up to our newsletter we don't email you every week it's every few months when we have valid interesting things to share about our development <laughs> Um, cool. I do just want to very quickly add the workshops are free. I didn't mention that, but we're a non profit and the workshops will be free. So please don't think that that's a barrier to, to entry if you feel you might benefit from them. Cool. Thank you. Thank you so much for, for sharing the information about um, Blink, but also sharing kind of your own experience as well. I think, like I say, a big thing for me and, and I think for the podcast is being able to share those lived experiences of, of what people have gone through. And I think it makes all of this so much more acceptable so much less stigmatized by hearing people's lived experience um often we're left to that's all we get um but i think it's it's a really important role but it's not um it's it's really recognized i think that actually that can be difficult sometimes to share so thank you so much for for, for sharing that and giving us that insight oh no that's all right you make it quite easy to to be open and to chat oh. and open journals so that's the point <laughs> but yeah no it's been it's been lovely thank you for having me awesome no worries i um yeah it's been really nice and i will make sure that we share some of the information about some of the stuff that's upcoming as well so we'll make sure that happens but thank you so much and i look forward to, to talking to you again soon yeah thank you These are real people. They do have struggles. And it starts to get on my nerves. I just shut down. So many people suffer from mental illness. To get the word out that men have got to start talking. So I told everything and her face dropped. A lot of people don't understand the depth of the situation, so mm. they can't appreciate, yeah. It's difficult dealing with our minds. And the suicidal thoughts were back. People knew that there was something not right, but they just never really said anything or probably felt like it wasn't their place to say anything. You're not depressed, it's, it's all in your head. That's probably the statement I've had people say the most. I mean, this, this, this shit is real and it's hard, it's exhausting. And I think people realize how helpful that one conversation can be just to figure out why you are feeling the way you are. Not only did this help me to write it, mm. it potentially might have helped some other people as well. So it sort of started from there. So many people think they're alone. And then you hear other people talk about it and they think, oh, that's, you know, that's so brave or I could relate to that. Um, and then they want to talk about it.